today's political climate, it's easy to see how our country is headed in a direction where the religious freedoms we have enjoyed for so long may soon be facing significant challenges, if not outright elimination. So what then should we do as believers? Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's Worship Services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich takes guidance from the Apostle Paul to help us navigate these turbulent times. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Target Reacquisition, from Hebrews chapter 12. All right, well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with you guys this morning as we open up his word and see what he has to say to us. So as I said, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, 12th chapter. We're just reading the first two verses, first two verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne once again this morning. It is truly a privilege to once again to open your word up and to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, it has been a blessing to lift your name in praise and worship, to hear your word taught in Sunday school. Uh, Lord, And we, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for who you are and the wonderful glory that you uh, represent and that you exude. And Lord, we thank you for the love that you showed towards us uh, despite our unworthiness. And Lord, we just we thank you just for who you are and who you are to us. And Lord, we ask now as we step into your word, we just ask that you help us to open our hearts and our minds. Help us to be ready and prepared for what it is you want us to hear today. And let us take those words and have them take root within our lives, Lord, that they might bear fruit that glorifies you and brings honor to you. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here this morning, but I just pray that you take me and use me as you see fit. I just pray that you would take away anything that can in any way distract from the message, Lord. Pride, uh, distraction, selfishness, Lord, just whatever it is, just take it all away so that I might be focused, that you might be able to use me as your, your spokesperson. Empty me, fill me with your spirit, that the words I speak are yours and not mine. And Lord, help us as a church to continue to move forward, to continue to strive to do that which you have called us to do, to be focused on your mission, your goals, your glory, that we might always be looking outward to reach out to the community around us, that we might fulfill the role that you have for us and we never would turn inwardly and be any way selfishly motivated. And Lord, as individuals, help us to see the need, the desperate and immediate need that exists out there today for the world to hear your truth, your gospel, that they might come to a saving knowledge of you. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and the times we have chosen to put ourselves above you. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we live in a peculiar time right now. And it's a time when there are people that have kind of gotten the, the gospel blurred. And when I say that, I mean by they have allowed their personal convictions, their personal beliefs, 
to interfere with what the gospel says. And it has kind of gotten us off focus. We've gotten a lot pulled, you know, in the recent years we've gotten very heated about our political beliefs. And I believe that has kind of pulled us off track um, and gotten us off target, so to speak, in what we should really be focused in and focused on. And I, know, I do understand that the world that we live in today is taking us down roads that we really don't want to see. It's taking us down roads where God's word is being ignored, it is being uh, condemned, uh, that God's truth is being painted as something that it's not, and that is that it is evil. And we, we live in a world where uh, we are going to face increasingly levels of persecution. And uh, we've been very blessed in our nation for many, many years in that the freedoms that we've enjoyed from a religious standpoint have been relatively unhindered uh, for the most part. But we're seeing a change. We're seeing a shift. Um, just recently I, I was reading an article, uh, a couple of different articles actually, and this was going on in England. And uh, although that is England, I understand this isn't our, our country, but it is an indicator of things to come. That they have passed a law in that country that basically, uh, and I don't remember the exact wording or uh, exactly how it's set up, but effectively what it does, it even bans praying in the vicinity of abortion clinics. And when I say praying, I'm not talking about out loud praying. And bans even praying silently and calls it a form of intimidation. And if that weren't enough, recently one gentleman was confronted by a police officer over there who was standing across the street and was praying. And upon asking him what he was doing, he said he was praying for his son. His son who had passed away some years back. And they arrested him and he's facing a large fine. Another lady was praying in the vicinity of an abortion clinic, silently, to herself. She was confronted by an officer, or several officers, and asked what she was doing. She was honest and said, I am praying. And she was subsequently arrested as well. Now these, to you and me, we hear these stories and we think, man, that is just crazy. How can what you're doing in your mind be a crime? But see, this is where we're headed. This is the world that we live in today, folks. And I don't know that it's going to be too far down the road where we're going to start seeing that kinds of intimidation for us, that kinds of encroachment for us in our faith. And it's going to be easy to get distracted. It's going to be easy to uh, take this and, and start thinking of other things and lose our focus on our faith. Well, our verses this morning that we just read in Hebrews were a precursor to Paul warning of persecution that, were, that was going to come to the church at the time, the church in Rome, or uh, in, for the Hebrew church. And it was in part meant to kind of encourage uh, the followers of Christ for what was to come in addition to reminding them that they can't allow themselves to get tired, to grow weary in the battle of against sin, against idolatry, against immorality. Because we face this battle every single day. We see it in our society. We see it in the news. We see it everywhere 
we look. And it is a battle that we have got to continue to fight against because our society is declining in its moral standards. And we are the only backstop against that going completely the wrong direction. Now, understand something. Today's idols are not necessarily ones made of wood or of stone. But sometimes idols are ideologies, belief systems that become idols, movements that become idols. And I don't think I need to go down that road too far before you understand what I'm talking about. And as our country and even as our, many of our churches are drawn in to the worship and the proliferation of these ideologies, of these idols, we will become un more and more under pressure to either conform or to be silent on these issues in society. Even to the point where they were going to paint us as evil for standing on the Word of God. That sound familiar? I don't think you need to go far to understand that. Well, the prophet Isaiah warned of this occurring in Isaiah 5.20. says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We don't have to look hard at today's society, today's government, to understand how this can be happening. Those that stand on the truth of God's word, those that stand on the truth of God's morals, we are being painted as evil. At the same time, that which is evil in God's mind is being vulnerated, is being uplifted and, and, and promoted and celebrated even in today's society. And the pressure is building. The pressure is building in this respect and the easy thing for us to do in this case would be to continue to simply, just simply not express ourselves publicly. Maybe even kind of hedge or compromise somewhat to keep the peace. But Paul warned us. He reminded us what our position should be regarding this. In Romans 12, 9, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now how he begins this verse is, is really very interesting because he uses the word dissimulation, which means concealment of one's thoughts, feelings, or character. So if we dig a little deeper into the Greek there, the word translated dissimulation really kind of means, and is painting the picture of hypocrisy. So effectively he's stating in this verse that let your love be, not be concealed, nor let it be hypocritical. Hate evil and love that which is good. Now what this tells us is that we that our outward actions towards others should originate from a heart that despises that which is evil and loves that which is good. And at the same time, loves the individual as we are commanded. Amen. Despite what their viewpoints are, despite what their positions in political arena are. Now that doesn't say what society is calling good, that is what God calls good. But there's, as I said, a tremendous pressure being put on us to do otherwise. And that's only going to get worse. It would be easy just kind of lay low and ride out the storm, so to speak. Bide our time until we're called home or the, the Lord returns for us. 
But in our verses this morning, Paul also reminds us that we are in a race. We're not in a leisurely stroll. We're not to be sitting on the couch as couch potatoes, watching all of this transpire and go by. He paints for us a picture, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. And the first thing he tells us is our effectively what the impediments are. What are the things that are going to hinder us, to hold us back, to cause us issues, to help prevent us from doing what we should do? And there's two elements that Paul references in the race of faith for the kingdom. He talks about weights and he talks about sin. Now weights would be anything that slows us down. Things that, while maybe not our complete blockers, they certainly don't make it's easy to make any kind of progress. Anybody who's been heavily involved in athletics or even physical therapy for that matter um, understand that part of the, what they do to progress is they put weights on you. And this is something that, you know, when I was at PT the other day, she, they put weights on my legs as I was doing exercises to try to help strengthen the muscles more. So weights add resistance. Weights slow you down. They, they are a hindrance, so to speak, in progress from trying to move quickly. Now, they, while they may be beneficial for working out and that kind of thing, they're not beneficial when it comes to our faith. And they can take on a number of forms. What are these weights? You know, it's, like, it's not like our faith we slap a, a, a weight ankle bracelet on or something like that. When we're talking about faith, what are we talking about? Well, one could be not letting go of the past. You know, a lot of times we may struggle with the idea that we are truly forgiven. We stumble, we fall, we find ourselves once again in the backside of having committed some sin against God, and we think, here I go again. There's no way that God really wants me to lead others, to, to be a, an example in righteousness when I can't even keep my own life straight. And we start beating ourselves up about it. And that slows us down. It can be other things too. One thing I've noticed a lot lately is the strife amongst professing Christians. Where Christians who have, may have different, differing views on what are really relatively minor issues find themselves at odds with one another. And when the world sees us at odds with another person or, uh, or so on social media, what does that do? What does that do to us and our ability to, to witness, to, to complete the work for the kingdom? Well, it slows us down. It weighs us down. It hinders us from accomplishing what we should. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without murmuring and what? Disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I understand that within the Christian community there are going to be minor differences in certain beliefs. And I'm not talking about things, major things like the gospel and the important fundamental truths of God's word. I'm talking about political beliefs, and things along those lines. I understand that within Christians there are going to be differences there, but we cannot allow that to become a blocking point in our unity. The world needs to see us as one. 
united on God and His Word. Notice that the words in the verse that we just talked about. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Rather fitting in the day that we live in, don't you think? Paul points out that in order for us to shine, to be the light of the world, to run our race, we must be blameless and harmless, particularly when it comes amongst ourselves. It's hard to focus on the race at hand when we're busy dealing with the person beside us. One of the things that you're taught when you run track is to not spend your time looking around at where everybody else is. Why is that? Because what happens when you turn to look next to you? It slows you down. When you're busy looking at where everybody else is, you are not going to run as fast as you would if you just stay focused on the finish. I've actually seen people lose races in the Olympics and such because they took the time at the very end to look to the side to see where everybody else is. And that gave the person next to them just enough to blow past them and win the race. If they'd remained focused on the finish, the goal, and to run accordingly, they would have won. Amen. But because they looked aside, they lost. When we allow distraction, when we have that added weight, it slows us down. When we're worried about everybody else and what they're doing, that slows us down. That is a weight that hinders us in the race. The other thing I mentioned was sin, something Paul points out that is easily a problem for us. We have a sin nature, and if we don't continually keep our guard up, we can fall prey to that pretty quick. Pretty quick. It might be easy to misunderstand, though, through the use of an analogy of a race that somehow we are competing with other Christians trying to outdo one another. And that's not the case. Instead, we compete against the enemy. We compete against the worldly system and even our own flesh and nature to a great extent. And clearly in this race, the competition is not going to let up. As I said, Paul commented on how easily all of this begins to affect our performance. Our race is a race of faith. And part of that faith is trusting in the one for, to whom, for whom we run. The only time we sin, the only time we fail is when we do not trust in God's plan, in God's loss. Amen. We do not trust that God's way is the best, both in His overall plans for our lives and even in our individual circumstances. And we go our own way. And lo and behold, we've committed sin. We tell him, oh God, I know better. I know what you said about this, but I'm going to do things my way. This isn't anything new. God laid out the truth of the, uh, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Adam and Eve. They knew it wouldn't be good for them to eat from it. 
God made it very clear that they weren't to eat from it. This wasn't something secret, hidden, or in any way concealed from them. They were told outright, don't do this. But then Satan, with his tempting, with his cunning, Eve began to rethink the whole thing. Eve began to think, well, she decided that she knew better. I know what God said about this tree, but by golly, you know, I've analyzed this, I've thought this through, and I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. That it would be a good thing. We all know how that turned out. But then we, how should we run the race, though? We, we know the things that hinder us. We know the things that can cause a problem for us in all of this. What key things, then, should we do to help focus and to continue on despite the challenges that we might face? Well, Paul addressed this too. He addressed this, and the first one was to run with patience. Patience. Another word, another word, or another interpretation of that is endurance. The word means a steady determination to keep going. It means continuing even when everything in you wants to slow down or just flat give up. I know I've shared this story with some of you before. But when I was in middle school, I decided to, to try to participate on the track team. I've been playing soccer for some time uh, with, you know, with relative success. And I thought, well, I'm going to try track, you know, see if I'm any good at that. And I was searching for some event, anything that I was, could be good at. I thought I was relatively quick, so I thought I'd try sprinting. Well, not so much. When placed against other people, I was pretty much getting blown away. So I thought, well, I'll try the hurdles. I tried that. Same thing. And then one day my coach said, you know, you look like you're built like a distance runner. Now, I really didn't care for running distances at all. I was not somebody who enjoyed running miles or multiple miles. But built like a distance runner, which meant I was skinny and lanky, basically. That was back then, of course. So I decided, well, the coach must know what he's talking about. I'm going to give it a shot. And he put me in a race, and I wish I could remember. It was either a mile or a two-mile. I can't remember exactly what the race was. And it was at our rival school, no less. Okay, so the next meet, here I am, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to give this a shot. And if I can stay with the pack, I'll be doing all right. I didn't have any aspirations of thinking there was any chance of me winning or anything. I said, if I can just stay with the pack, I'll be okay. Gun goes off, we all start cruising along. I'm staying with the pack for a little while at least. And I'm thinking, I'm doing okay. And next thing you know, the pack's out ahead of me. And next thing you know, the pack's on the other side of the track from me. And the next thing you know, the pack's behind me, catching up. Not because I was that far ahead, but because I was that far behind. They were about to lap me. <clears throat> the race went on, and I'm trudging along, and I'm trudging along, and I'm just, this is, I mean, I'm so far behind, it's not even funny. The rest of the field had already finished, and I'm still trudging along. Race officials are standing there at the finish line waiting for me to finish so they can move on to the next race. 
But I did cross that finish line. Way behind everybody else. But I finished. Now I could have quit. Probably would have saved a lot of face by doing so. But I chose to finish. The one thing I could control, console myself about in that race was the fact that I finished. I ran with patience despite the complete and utter discouragement that I was seeing around me. Because I was last, and I mean dead last. I ran despite noticing everyone was literally standing around waiting on me to finish so they could move on. And I ran despite no one was shouting words of encouragement and put, keep pushing. I ran despite knowing there was no prize waiting for me at the conclusion of this race. I could have simply quit and it wouldn't have mattered. Did I want to quit? Oh, you better believe I wanted to quit. I wanted to just stop and walk to the center of the track and say, I'm done. But I didn't. And I'm not saying that to elevate myself in any way. I'm using it as an example. This is what we're talking about. Running with patience, with endurance. Now, it might be said that the race officials actually exhibited patience with me as well. Maybe even more so. But I did finish. And this is how we need to be willing to run our race of faith in this lifetime as a Christian. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be frustrated in our race in this life. That is an absolute certainty. And if we haven't seen that already, we're going to see it eventually. Just wait, because you'll have your chance to be frustrated in your walk of faith. It's going to happen. There's going to be times when you feel alone. There'll be times when you feel like everyone around you is totally indifferent to what you have to say. Simply humoring you. And there will be times when you feel like it's just not worth the effort. That any rewards that we might gain in heaven can willingly be forfeited, consoling ourselves with the thought that we will spend forever in heaven regardless of what we do. So we'll just slow to a walk instead of continuing to run. But God did not lay this race of living a Christian life before us as a suggestion. It is an expectation. And a big part of that race is standing on what we know to be right. And where this has become blurred and most challenging is in the case of social justice issues that are so prevalent today. This is where we see a lot of churches and Christians going astray. Now don't get me wrong, certain social justice issues in some cases are commendable and proper. Such as equality across race and nationality. After all, we are equally made in this, the, the unique image of God. There's also caring for those in need and several others that follow that we are taught in Scripture. But in some cases, it's an attempt to validate or force approval of sinful or incorrect behavior such as same-sex marriage, gender identity outside of biological design, and the, sut, and the like. But there's something we must keep in mind about this. For those that are proper, the pursuit of these kinds of things cannot rise above the pursuit of the foundational issues that create problems in the first place. <clears throat> you can't pressure or legislate sin out of somebody. 
In other words, you've got to first address what's causing the issue, and in every single instance where someone is acting improperly towards someone else, the fundamental problem there is sin. Plain and simple. Now, while we can create an environment where justice can flourish, it's certainly proper. Not addressing the recognition in individuals that the behavior of is sin and originated is only to drive the problem into the shadows. And that's what we've got to continue to pursue first and foremost. It's a part of the race that we've got to continue to run despite the pressure to simply jump aboard the political correctness train. We've got to stand for what's right and pursue the recognition of sin and the need for the Savior. The government can't change someone by legislating them. Only God can truly change someone. And it's our responsibility to continue and try to introduce them to this. No matter how tired we are, no matter how futile our efforts might seem, it is both what they lack and what they certainly continually need that brings us to this other thing then that Paul stressed. And that second piece is a view of Christ. You ever seen a clip from a greyhound race? You know, greyhound dogs where they race them? You might find yourself in the same boat I did when I first saw these. I sit there and I was watching this race and I was watching all these dogs running around this track and I thought, man, that is pretty interesting. How do they get those dogs to race each other? How do they get train these dogs that they're trying to run faster than the dog next to them? And I was kind of puzzled by this at first until the camera panned out and I suddenly noticed that ahead of these dogs was an arm with, I guess, fake rabbits or something on them that was leading them around the track. They weren't racing each other. They were chasing after what they had set their sights on. The dog had locked in on whatever it was on that arm and it was going to get it. They weren't racing each other. It was irrelevant that the other dogs were chasing them too. They each, all they cared about was running fast enough to catch what was on that arm running around the track. Came across this passage in the commentary as I was putting the message together. It says, running with perseverance is possible only whilst they are looking not to the encouraging witnesses, the present contestants, the ultimate goal, or even the promised reward, but to Christ alone. Amen. Or they will either drop out through distraction or collapse with exhaustion. And this statement really captures what should be the very essence of our motivation. And that motivation is to be the person of Christ Himself. Amen. We can see the cheering and encouragement of the witnesses before and present, but the cheering in our ears is going to fade as we progress. And we will begin to grow weary. We can see those around us determined in the work of the Lord and be encouraged by the camaraderie and the fellowship and a common goal, but some will fall by the wayside. And this will cause us discouragement. We can get excited about the ultimate goal of seeing others converted and entering into a saving relationship with Christ, but become frustrated at the continued lack of response. We can strive for the promised reward, but in the struggles of the day, it becomes too distant, unattainable, or not worth the effort, perhaps. But when we look to Christ, when we focus on the very person of our Lord and Savior, 
and soak in His goodness, knowing that we do not run this race alone nor in vain, but rather seeing Him as the ultimate goal, His Spirit it becomes a sustaining force and those difficult but temporary times of struggle become much more manageable and much more tolerable. Amen. Now I understand the frustration that we feel sometimes can be overwhelming. We can have the knowledge that there is a sovereign God who sits on the throne of all that exists, whose goodness, mercy, and grace is worthy of nonstop celebration, of whose unconditional love is extended to each and every one of us, regardless of who we are or what we've done, and whose path to an eternity of joy and fulfillment the solution for our sin and so graciously been extended to us without exception and without having to be earned. We know all these wonderful and incredible truths and yet we see a world that not only wants nothing to do with that, which to us seems inconceivable really, but they also want to hinder those truths from being communicated. It's disheartening to see them brush aside such a magnificent gift. It's angering to see them disrespect such a holy and righteous God. But while it might be saddening to know that some will miss out on the one thing that can save them from an eternity of suffering, we can take heart in knowing this one thing, and we find it in Romans 14.11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. There will come a day. In that day of judgment, we all will acknowledge Him for who He is. Each and every believer, each and every doubter, rebel, enemy, hater, promoter of evil, every one of us as sinners will bend our knee before Him, confessing and declaring Him as Lord. It's going to happen for you too. It's going to happen for me. There is no exception. The only thing that's going to be different is what happens afterward. For those who have confessed our sin and called upon Him as Savior and Lord of this life, we are going to be welcomed into His eternal presence. Enjoying Him in His endless loving nature forever. But those who waited too long, those who left this world either undecided or in open rebellion against Him, the next words you hear will banish you to an eternity of pain and suffering forever separated from God's presence. So for those who have entered into this race in this life, let us run with Jesus as our focus and our prize. But for those who have never accepted Christ, why not begin your race today and learn what it means to find joy and complete satisfaction in the Savior of the world. For He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the source of all joy and fulfillment. Why not experience that today? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne this morning. We thank you for this time we've had together, Lord. We thank you for your word and the wonderful truths that it opens up to us. And Lord, as we travel this life and we run this race, let us always be focused on you. Let us always be seeking you that we might run without fainting, we might run without growing weary, that we might 
know that the race is worth the effort. And Lord, just burden our hearts this morning with anything that you want us to become aware of. Help us to understand what it is in our lives that you're calling us, calling us to do, calling us for. Help us to understand the direction you want us to go. And Lord, it's my prayer that if anybody's here today that has never declared you the Lord and Savior of their lives, may this be the day they do so before their time is up. And Lord, we love you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church space-space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await His joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at ProvidenceNBCGaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.